are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. The passage reading for today is Exodus 24, 9 to 25, 9. And in this time, we invite you to um, open your Bibles and um, read along with us. Or if you're following on the Bible app, uh, feel free to read along. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the, on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the covenant you have made with your people. May we draw near, may we draw our hearts near to you as you have drawn um, nearer to us. Let this fall fresh on our hearts, and as we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, Renaissance Church, I just want to welcome you uh, again to our online gathering. If you're new with us, uh, my name is Pastor Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at at Renaissance here on staff. And if you're coming to us uh, from another house-to-house gathering, uh, us at the the Glenshaw location, uh, who's everyone who's sitting in front of me uh, with their masks on, social distancing as best as we can, uh, we want to say welcome uh, to all of y'all. And you'll see me look away from the camera every once in a while so I can and address uh, my brothers and my sisters who are here in this room. Well, the psalmist writes about what, what we just heard about. The psalmist in Psalm 84, 
4 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalmist is here singing about the temple, the, the tabernacle of God, the place where God came to dwell with his people. And he's singing for joy. He's saying, my heart longs to be in this dwelling place with God. Yes, it even faints to be present with the presence of God. I wonder, have you ever longed to be with someone? Have you ever just missed somebody so much that you are willing to put down everything, possibly even lose things, in order just to spend some time with them? The reality is our souls were ingrained to long for this type of communion. Not just with others, but, but our souls were built to long for this dwelling place with God. To dwell with God. But how do we dwell with God? What does it mean? What does it even look like to dwell with God? My, my hope in this sermon, as we, we look from Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 9, and we'll go to the end of chapter 27. You heard a small portion of that read, but we're going to travel all the way to the end of chapter 27 today. My, my hope is that you would see that God's plan has always been to dwell with us, and his plan is to dwell with us again. And we're going to see this in three different epochs in the narrative. We're going to see, first point, the the tabernacle of the past. Second point, the tabernacle of the present. And third point, the tabernacle of the future. So we have the tabernacle of the past, the present, and the future. It's kind of a there and back again story. My hope for you is that you, by the end of this sermon or during this sermon, you would be able to draw near to this God who has already promised to dwell with you. So let's dive in. Are you all ready? First point, the tabernacle of the past. What we see here is, is Moses going up to the mountain again in chapter 24, verses 9 through 18. He's talking with God on Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, he's receiving stone tablets of the Book of the Covenant, as well as plans for this movable structure uh, called the tabernacle. This movable structure would be a tent that God would dwell in as Israel traveled and traversed from Mount Sinai all the way to the promised land of Canaan. This was a shadow of a past reality. This tabernacle was Eden casting a shadow on Israel's present reality. In the past, Eden, the entrances to Eden were in the east and they were guarded by cherubim. And here we see in the holies of holies, the tabernacle, chapter 25, verse 18, the ark is guarded by cherubim and its entrance is in the east. At the center of creation was God's spoken word and all of creation responded. And in the innermost part of the tabernacle was God's written word. Verse 25 of chapter 20, uh, verse 21 of chapter 25 was God's written word stored in the ark. 
In creation, you have Adam and Eve dwelling with God. And in the most holy places of the tabernacle, you have the 12 loaves of the presence. It's the bread of presence representing the 12 tribes of Israel in verses 23 through 30. And this was to be placed before God regularly on the table, symbolizing that God's people were always welcomed in God's presence. In creation, you have the tree of life. In the tabernacle, you have the lampstand in verses 31 through 40. And it was made to look as if it were a tree. It had the buds, the blossoms, and the almonds, the three stages of life in a tree. And this light continually shined on the bread of the presence. This would be a constant testament to Israel that God is always with them. In creation, we see seven acts beginning with this phrase, and God said, and then it was. And here in the tabernacle, we have another seven acts beginning with, and the Lord says. I mean, just as in creation, it, in Genesis 1, all of creation obeyed God's word by creating spaces in days 1 through 3 and filling those spaces in days 4 through 6. So we have here in the tabernacle, Israelites responding to God's word faithfully by creating spaces and filling spaces. In creation, Adam and Eve were to cultivate the ground, to be fruitful and multiply. And here at the end of chapter 24, you see the Israelites cultivating and bringing and contributing to the creation of the tabernacle now with the beauty that's found in the original creation account with gold, onyx, and more. In creation, God rested on the Sabbath. He declared everything good and he blessed it. And at the end of the building of this tabernacle in Exodus 39, you have Moses finishing the work and blessing it. This was meant to be a shadow of the past. And what's the point of the shadow of of this tabernacle? What's the point? Why is it pointing us back to the creation narrative? Well, the whole point of chapter 25 to 27 is to show that God is restoring what was once broken in Eden. Sin broke the relationship. Sin drew God's people away from God. And God had always wanted to live with and be with his people. That was the whole reason for the Garden of Eden, for God to dwell with his creation, the people he created. And now in the tabernacle, God is now making the initial giant step back towards humanity by saying, I want to dwell with you and let me show you that this is the way it always was meant to be. And we see this in verse 8 of chapter 25. He says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may, can you say it, dwell in their midst. God desires to dwell with us. What what does this show us? God desires you. He desires me. He, He doesn't merely want us. He wants to be around us. He wants to be 
with us. He even wants to live among us. This is the God who formed you. This is the God who fashioned you so that you can be present with him and he can be present with you. He's come to restore what has been broken. This tabernacle is a shadow of the past so that Israel can draw near to a God who has made the first step to dwell with them. But it's also a tabernacle for the present reality of Israel. God's instruction for this tabernacle, this is the second point, the tabernacle of the present, his instructions for this tent, for this sanctuary, began from the inside and moved outward. Now, you should see a a photo of this tabernacle, uh, an illustration of it on the screen right now. And the closer you got to the center of this tabernacle, the more intricate the design was of the material. The more ornate and more dense were, were all of the curtains that were hanging. The detail of all the craftsmanship was far more intricate and far more ornate. You see in the photo the vibrant and royal colors of purple and gold and the blue colors to symbolize heaven above. And if you look towards the center of the Holy of Holies, you see the mercy seat. This is the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, which is the center of God's tabernacle. This is God's throne, and it's inside this throne his word dwelled. It's where the tablets of stone were placed. At the center of Israel's life, yes, was the presence of God, but it was also the word of God. We read this in verse 22 of chapter 25. He says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. You see, God's presence and his word can never be separated, can never be divorced from one another. God's presence with Moses up on the mountain revealed his word. And then here is God coming down. God descending to be with his people off the mountain so he can travel and be with them in both word and both his presence. You see, in the, in the ancient Near East, we've been talking about this culture a lot these last se- uh, several sermons. And it's important to understand the ancient Near East culture. Everyone would have some type of temple where they would go to worship their God. But inside that temple would be a carved image of a beast, of a bird, or an animal, or a combination of animals together. But the reality is God had already had his images carved. Me and you, his image bearers. He already had his representatives. And we are not the center of the tabernacle. But his presence and his word is that can never be divorced from one another. You see, God is not just Israel's savior and redeemer. He's not just our savior and redeemer. He's also the king and Lord who rules by his gracious presence and the gift of his word to us. See, the closer the people got to the center, the holy of holies, the more protection they needed. That's why there was multiple coverings. 
structure of this tabernacle conveys one strong message. God is holy. He is set apart. There is none like him. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is supreme. But also declares a second message. We are not. The people cannot just approach a holy God as they are. I mean, do you remember Uzzah? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. From 2 Samuel chapter 6. Remember what, what happened to him when he tried to steady the ark when it was toppling over? He touched it and what happened? The bro died. He was struck dead. Because something who is unholy, someone who is unholy, comes in contact with something that is holy. Because holiness cannot be contained. So why did they need protection? It's because what's central to the tabernacle was not obeyed. His word wasn't listened to. It was because his word wasn't followed. It was because his word wasn't deemed as trustworthy. They were just hearers of the word, not doers. And isn't this what happened back in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve? They did not trust the words of the creator, but instead had trust the words of the creation, the Satan in the form of a serpent. And we find Israel recapping Genesis 3 not listening to the word of God in chapter 32, where they're disobeying the first command, they're worshiping other gods at the bottom of the mountain. They disobey the second command. They created a carved image and a golden calf. They were hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And I know what many of you are thinking right now. That's me. That's me. We are like the Israelites. We're like the Israelites who last week, when they think about the grandeur and splendor of this God, they say, we will do everything that he says to do. We'll listen to every word. And then the next moment, we forget it. We, we pretend like we didn't even hear it. You might be wondering, why would God want to dwell with somebody who continues to reject him? Why would God want to be with me? If we're honest with ourselves, the first part to enjoying this reality is admitting the bad news. It's admitting the bad news. We are not holy. We are broken. We can't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's righteous standards. Many of us can admit that our marriages are falling apart. We can admit that relationships, friendships are falling apart. And some of us are humble enough to admit that it's not just out there is the problem, but in here is the problem. I mean, some of you are still dealing with the same sin struggle that you dealt with a year ago, and you're wondering, will it ever go 
away. I can barely put up with me. How can God put up with me? You know you aren't holy. You know you are broken. You know your life is in disrepair. And so when we think about God's holiness from chapter 25 to chapter 27, displays his holiness, we have to remember that God's holiness describes the fullness of all of his attributes. And most of the time when we think about God's holiness, we're only thinking about his justice. But we forget about his mercy. Both his justice and his mercy is wrapped up in his holiness. You see, outside of the tent in chapter 27, you find an altar. You find an altar. This is where animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people. There's a picture to display how ugly our sin is and the depth that our sin goes, that blood has to be spilt to cover our shame, to forgive our sins. Our brokenness must be covered and dealt with in order for us to dwell with a holy God. We must be rebuilt. We're broken. We must be rebuilt so that God cannot just dwell with us, but dwell in in us. We, we don't just need a remodeling of sorts, fixing out the outward appearances. No, what we need is to be gutted. We need to be gutted to the core. We need a complete renovation. C.S. Lewis, in his quintessential book, Mere Christianity, has this beautiful chapter near the end. This is actually the, the chapter that led my wife, Lauren, to see the beautiful riches of the gospel. And he writes this, this will be up on your screen. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you, you knew these jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What, what on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there running up the towers, making the courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage? But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You see, God just doesn't put up with you. He wants to be present with you. God doesn't come down and condemn you to hell. He comes down to say, come and dwell. Come and be with me. God just doesn't meet us where we are and leave us in our sin and our shame. No, he meets us where we are. He covers us. He rebuilds us. He renovates us and he makes us brand new. He's holy, yes, but he's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow 
to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love. You can draw near to this God because he desires to dwell with you again. We've seen this from the tabernacle in the past in Eden. We now see this tabernacle in Israel's present state at the bottom of Mount Sinai. We see him making the first step, initiating every move of the journey. And this all points forward to a tabernacle in the future. So the tabernacle wasn't just a shadow of Eden, but it's a foreshadowing of the future. It's a, it's a photograph of what's to come. Now, some of you know this, I got to take uh, an amazing trip last year around this time uh, to hike rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that I get to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and my first step is to pull out my phone, log on to Instagram and pull up the Grand Canyon's Instagram account and I just start looking at the photos. You'd call me insane. Because I'm just looking at a photograph and you tell me, Rob, behold the glory that is in front of you. That picture does nothing compared to what the real thing offers. The tabernacle was just meant to be a picture of the real thing. Yes, the tabernacle was a picture of the bad news. That the people of God, that we cannot dwell face to face with God. And if we did, we would be consumed with his glory and holiness. And it was also, yes, a picture of the good news that God has made a way for his people to come and dwell with him. He knew that they were unable to come up the mountain to him. So he came down, descended to them. The tabernacle is a picture of God wanting to be with his people, us, you and me. He wants to be with the people who, yes, who keep rejecting him. This is what makes the incarnation of Jesus so majestic, so wonderful, so mysterious, and so mind-boggling. The apostle John in John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later he says, And this God has come to tabernacle among us. That's the word that he uses in the Greek to literally set up a tent. And this word was made flesh and his name is Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson tells us in his translation that Jesus Christ, God himself, has now moved into the neighborhood. The word in which the whole tabernacle was meant to center around has now come down from heaven to dwell with a people who would reject him. And in John 6, Jesus tells the people that he is now the bread of life who nourishes and sustains them. In John chapter 8, he says that I am the light of the world who shines light into your darkness. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, he says that I am the once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and to heal all of your brokenness so that you can be allowed to dwell in the holy of holy places of God. For by this single offering on the cross, we are now made right with God. 
Moses ascended a mountain to get the word of God, to be in the presence of God. And just as God came off that mountain, Jesus came down to this earth. But then Jesus, like Moses, ascended another mount, the Mount of Calvary, where he would be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, where he would joyfully take that cross to bear our shame, where he would take the wrath of God, the justice of God, so that you and I can receive grace and mercy. See, at Jesus' death, that curtain, that intricate, beautiful design of a curtain, and all of its blues, its golds, its purples, it was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that through Jesus' death on the cross, we now have full access to God, all because of Jesus. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51 says this, And Jesus, this is from the cross, he cried out again, and with a loud voice yielding up, to, yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top the bottom. Jesus, the great high priest, goes to that cross to mediate for our sins. Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world, has swung wide open access to God for him to come now and dwell with us so that we can be cleansed from our sin, so that we can be covered in all of our shame, and so that we have nothing to fear. For God has loved us first in Christ Jesus, and that love casts out all fear so that we can now draw near to this God who wants to dwell with me and wants to dwell with you. Amen. Hear this news. God's forgiven you. He wants you. He wants to be present with you. And so draw near to him. And his promise is that he will dwell with you and even draw near to you. The author of the, the book of Hebrews writes this. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? The blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. Jesus is not just the temple, he's the curtain torn in two. And since we have this great high priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from a clear conscience, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what's left for you to do? Trust Jesus. Trust in Jesus's blood. Trust in his flesh that was broken for you. And come near. Come near to a God who's not going to shame you when you draw near. Come near to a God who's not going to condemn you when you draw near. But if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone, his life, his death, and his resurrection, God has now promised to come dwell in you. And so let us be a people who continue to stir one another up to these good works, that we encourage one another as the day is drawing near, not neglecting to meet with one another and encourage one another and teach one another, rebuke, shepherd one another. Because we've all now been turned into little tabernacles. 
We are now the temple of God, which now the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, now dwells within us. You and me, we are now, through faith in Christ Jesus, the dwelling place of God, who now commands us to go out and be the light of the world to those who are still in darkness. We're the ones who say, we have the presence of God. Come and draw near so that you can experience the presence of God. And one day, eventually, Jesus will return. He is coming back to transform the whole world by his presence and to invite us into a brand new tabernacle. For in that tabernacle, he will dwell with us forever. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 21 verse 3 says this, John said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Humanity was once there with God in Eden. No sin, no shame, no suffering. They were once there and now they're invited to come back again. So I want to encourage you that this is our future reality. And until then, I want to challenge us to do two things as we think about drawing near to this God who took the initial step to draw near to us. I encourage you to draw near in community with others. We can't do this alone. That's what the author of the Hebrews tells us. We can't do this alone. We have to encourage one another as the day is drawing near. And when we get to dwell with one another, we get to recognize that the presence of God, the dwelling of God, is not in just us individually, but in us collectively as one body of Christ Jesus. And the second way I want to encourage you to draw near is to draw near to God's word. For that is where you will see him drawing near to you. That in every page of scripture, it was he who made the first step towards us to dwell with us. So church, let us be a people who draw near to God with one another because he first drew near to us in Christ Jesus so that he can dwell with us today and one day in the future we will dwell with him forever in eternity with all pleasures forevermore. Would you pray with me? Christ Jesus, thank you for becoming flesh. Thank you for emptying yourself. Thank you for 